Hey everyone, how you doing out there? It's uh, not the easiest time for anyone, but uh, I hope your day is decent at least, and if it's not great right now, that it turns around. Before getting into my chat with the fabulous, delightful, and legendary Jackie Beat, I want to tell you about the magic and wonder of Patreon.com slash Craig and Friends. Yes, Patreon.com slash Craig and Friends, the home of Hot Dog Club. The club that cares. And not only do they care, they get to enjoy stacks and stacks and stacks of exclusive content available to you only at Patreon.com slash Craig and Friends. And what is that content? Well, there are bonus episodes, there's listener questions episodes, and of course, the movie club episodes. Additional tiers include Zoom Hot Dog Club meetups, which happen every Monday, 2 p.m. Hollywood time. They're a lot of fun. They generally run between three and five hours. I think we hit a record once of five and a half hours. They're always a highlight of my week and a lot of fun. And there are other tiers all the way up to She's an Executive, a tier that prominently features our pals Brian Necht and Lindsay Rose, the People's Candidate. Exciting movie club news, just taped the 9 to 5 movie club featuring Karen from Finance and Jake Shears that will be out in the next seven days. And it's time to get your questions and comments in for the Tootsie movie club featuring none other than Ms. Tammy Brown. It's her favorite movie of all time and I can't wait to discuss it with her. Later in the year, the Vixen will be joining me for What's Love Got to Do With It. There's going to be a Labyrinth movie club and other treats and delights to be announced very, very soon. Also, the listener questions. Well, I just taped one with the fabulous Crystal. The lovely and delightful goth Charlotte episode of Listener Questions just launched recently. It's called Number 36, Don't Twist the Fist, for obvious reasons. And none other than James St. James will be joining me in a few weeks for another episode of Listener Questions. And then after that, Bitch Puddin! And of course, once you slide into the Thunderbuns of Hot Dog Club, you have immediate access to all of the archive episodes. And if you'd like to support the show, but yet have less exciting content, there's always the $1 tier. You do get some stuff, though, like some voicemail messages and other news and fun things. So once again, it's patreon.com slash Craig and Friends. Oh, and while you're listening to the show, make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss an episode of this show. And please rate and review. Of course, the five-star review is always the most sophisticated, and you are a sophisticated crowd. A Russian ballerina stopping on a bureaucrat. A perky suburban housewife who just got into scats. Give it a beep, bop, 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 bow, bop, bop, bop. It's whimsically volatile. Dear listeners, on this episode of Whimsically Volatile, I'm pleased to present a legendary queen of stage, screen, and the writer's rooms of some of your favorite shows. A singer, entertainer, thinker, and most importantly, a fellow KISS fan. Coming to us via satellite from Altadena, California. Please put your hands together and help me give a warm and wet whimsically volatile welcome to the one, the only, the Jackie Beast. Wow. <laughs> welcome, welcome, welcome. It's a nice whenever to... I get, whenever I get an intro like that, I think, wait a minute, did I die? <laughs> This is the uh, this is the bulletin. It's kind of like defending your life, but here's the trick: you don't get to go and watch bits of your stuff. You're just in your house, and you have to have uh, everything delivered because you're. This is your little uh, your cell for the rest of eternity. Oh, okay. <laughs> defending your life is one of my all time favorite movies, and I always watch it if I'm ever feeling like less than grateful, less than you know. Sure. If my V, you know. That's a great idea. I need to rewatch that. That just came out on Criterion as well. Oh. Yes, fully deluxe. With extras. Yes, lots of extras. Yeah. I wonder what is in the extras. I love Albert Brooks movies in general because there's always some undercurrent. Like Mother's a great one as well. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. Tastes like an orange foot. <laughs> what is it? The protective ice layer on the yeah, ice cream? The yeah. Sugar. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. He says at one point, I think it tastes like an orange foot. <laughs> that's right. It's to that sherbet. Yeah. 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 I, I think I watched that with my mom, which was fun. My air conditioning just kicked on. Is it going to be a problem? No, it's okay. Good. Not having it on is probably a problem. That would be the biggest problem. You're in an area where there's evacuation warnings, right? Yes. And I have two dogs here. So, What are your dogs' names? Uh, Miss Tony and Darling. How old are your dogs? Don't know, because they're both rescues. And they won't answer the question. They won't. They refuse. They just sit there smoking cigarettes, ignoring me. (laughs) (laughs) I respect that. Listen, you know what? Let them have their martini and just relax. Now, you mentioned in the intro that I'm uh, as big a Kiss fan as you are. I think so. Yeah, indeed. A bigger one because I kind of gave up years ago. (laughs) I just can't handle the fact that they have two hired hands. You know, I know everyone's wearing wigs these days, but it's very Halloween headquarters. Sure. Yeah, the wigs we can overlook. I mean, that's very familiar to a lot of us. But the uh, two replacement members, so those of you not uh, as invested in the Kiss world, Two of the members of KISS that were brought back for the reunion, the two original members that uh, have now departed, Ace Frehley and Peter Chris, their makeup has been put on two other guys. So there's this big divide in the KISS fan community as to whether or not they're imposters, etc. But KISS's fortunes uh, swelled back to what they used to be when they did the makeup again. So they're sticking with that shtick. Yeah. Is there really a divide or is, are most people just like, this is bullshit? It's it's really interesting. There's debates. That, you know that there's like three or four KISS-focused podcasts? And they have hundreds of episodes. I've listened to a lot uh, some during this time, which also I'm noting, I'm never going to say this expression as much as I will during this time. I, for comfort, would just put on that sometimes. You know, like I also watched like almost all of Columbo. I did the entire Cagney and Lacey in June. That was really good. I'm that way with uh, the Golden Girls, obviously. And yeah. I recently just completely started binge watching the andy griffith show really wow that's quite a choice called white people (laughs) but it's very comforting and it's from my childhood and i didn't realize how sexually i attracted i was to uh andy griffith really wow that is surprising yeah and you know he's wearing a uniform anyway he's got that accent it just seems like maybe he's stupid enough to fall for it now, do you think that you're going to follow this up with some Matlock? No. Does he age out for you at a certain point? Oh, of course. Of course. Matlock is, is not good. Sorry. <laughs> you know what I like getting? Uh, Amazon recommendations for shows that like are purely for like uh, retirement homes. Because <laughs> of the, my purchases, I got Murder, She Wrote last year, The Complete Collection. And yeah. one of the best things I ever bought. And then, you know, I buy the Columbo box. So I'm now getting suggestions that I, I would like diagnosis murder no thank you no thanks scott bayo and anything except for foxes no thanks not interested yeah yeah well his politics are fucked up fuck you fucking scott fucking bayo <laughs> absolutely yeah and it's shocking too because you don't like to be political right no he's like three feet tall which i have nothing against but you know i'm gonna guess like two and a half feet of that is cock from the women he's dated yeah, I know. He's really got quite a dance card or yeah, track record. Yeah. Like, really? I guess something's going on. It must be because it, it certainly ain't his acting skills. No, or his, you know, sparkling personality. <laughs> or, his, 
Or his singing voice. Remember he put out two records? Oh, my God. Yeah. Everyone had to back then. Ever have a favorite teen idol? I am a huge fan of Guido's, so I really <laughs> liked um, John Travolta back in the day. Oh, sure. Let her in. John yeah. Travolta in Saturday Night Fever with the blow-dried hair and the hairy chest and the gold medallion, like all of that. Yeah. And now Guido's are, you know, the people on, um, what is that stupid show? Oh, Jersey, Jersey Shore. Yeah. With uh, spiky hair and shaved you know they look like the underside of a tongue <laughs> right not a crack no it doesn't quite have the same uh, luster as that no what was your first uh i guess crush on a film or tv star well my young? very first goes kind of way back mm-hmm. I'm, I'm in full lighting so everyone can tell how ancient i am <laughs> um my first was robert conrad on wild wild west he was always in a pair of Toreador pants, two sizes too small. <laughs> Couldn't wait to get his shirt ripped off. And there were actually like a couple of episodes where he's tied up and being whipped. I'm not even into that, but <laughs> sure. But again, he's three feet tall. But With the magic of television. Yeah. All of it's in the right place. He's yeah. very good looking. Any young people listening, Google Robert Conrad Young. <laughs> it's fun watching uh, the Columbos as well for the guest stars being the guest murderers. And I yeah. found that my favorite guest murderer, I think, is Robert Culp. Oh, uh-huh. Yeah, and his outfits in it are great. But uh, I wanted to also focus on uh, Arizona because you grew up in Arizona, and I wanted to find out what it was like. Yes. Well, before I get to Arizona, I will tell you this. One of my best friends, Muffy Bolding, is obsessed with Columbo and specifically the episode with Ruth Gordon. Yes. She watches it on a loop. No joke. (laughs) I guess it's just what you do when you're, you know, in quarantine and feeling, you know, the need for something. Yeah, it's comfort food, TV version of comfort food. It really is. I always joke that, you know, Arizona is a great place to grow up if you like Southwestern art, the color beige and date rate. And, you know. (laughs) Oh, that's what all that stuff is? Well, I'm going to see. As soon as we can travel, I'm going. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's beautiful. We would go to Mexico several times a year. You could go, uh, you know, travel in one direction and go to the desert, travel in another direction and go to the mountains. And there was snow on the mountains, you know, in, in winter. And, uh, oh, here's a newsflash. There was snow in winter. No. And uh, <laughs> we would go tubing down the Salt River. Yeah. But, you know, looking back, it's like it kind of dawns on you. Oh, my God. I was we were white trash. Oh, OK. That's why you had fun then yeah in that environment now uh i was reading about arizona i I can't remember what part but maybe it must must have been phoenix i guess wherever the tubes are from because i'm a big tubes fan and they were talking about how all of the fast food giants of the country would try out stuff in arizona first arizona was a test market because every once in a while i'll bring up a product and no one knows about it Mm mm-hmm Oh, so it was a test market for more than just like fast food. It was everything. Yeah, yeah. Actually, products in the supermarket also. We didn't know it at the time, but I have kind of since learned that. Yeah. I mean, look at me. Obviously, I grew up on junk food and, and you know, all sorts of uh, fast food. But um, yeah, I remember. Do you remember a cereal called Freakies? No, no, no. Oh, my God. You have to Google Freakies. I will. It was a cereal 
And I think it was fruit flavored. I don't remember, yeah. but it was like all these freaks, uh-huh. like weirdos. I don't know how to explain it, but, and then you, you would get a little rubber freaky to put on the end of your pencil free in the box of freakies. And I've mentioned it to many people and nobody remembers it. And I, turns out, I guess it was a test market thing. I'm always amazed at the amount of products that uh, come out that never really make it to market. Right. And back in the day, we really didn't know about them. But now if you go to the 99 cent store, Keebler is trying everything and like 98% of what Keebler makes ends up at the 99 cent store for some reason. Do you have a favorite junk food? Um, I really love pizza. Mm, mm-hmm. I'm a more savory than sweet type of person. But uh, yeah, I just love pizza. Oh my God. Yeah, pizza. <laughs> a, a bacon cheeseburger pizza. So you're not a purist. Some people are pizza purists, and I noticed that the Hawaiian pizza often uh, elicits a lot of ire from people. I love Hawaiian pizza. I also love, I love all sorts of, like, meat with sweet. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah, I love all that. I like, you know, raisins, you know, golden currants in the <laughs> chicken salad. and Yeah, all sorts of stuff. This is really, are you sure we shouldn't watch Matlock? <laughs> I think I think we're heading. <laughs> yeah, we're uncovering truths to ourselves now, I think. One of the things I really do miss from Arizona is Whataburger. The burgers are like this big, uh-huh. but everything is super thin. Okay. So I don't think the burger is any more meat, but it's just super, and it's just very big. And it was my mother's favorite. She was born in Milan, so she called it the water burger. So I thought, I thought it was water, like water burger. <laughs> that sound very, you know, appetizing. But they're really good. So if you're in Texas, or I think you know, obviously they. I don't know if they still have them in Arizona, but do some research. And when this is all over, go get yourself a water burger. And growing up, uh, what was the family situation like? My mom was raised in an orphanage slash convent in Italy. Mm -hmm. And my dad was, you know, just your basic straight dude in the Navy. But for some reason, they both could accept the biological reality of gay people. And they were not religious at all. My mom was, you know cured of that (laughs) being beaten by the nuns and stuff her stories were terrible but you would think you know my dad lived through the depression and like grew up in yakima washington and like i said he was in the navy but my mom and dad's best friends were a gay couple named bob and jim in scottsdale arizona and they did everything together and this was back when how do I phrase this? There were more defined roles within gay relationships. So there was kind of the butch one and the femme one, if you will. Yeah. So my mom hung out with Jim and they, you know, had a couple of stingers and went shopping and went to movies. And my dad and Bob would drink beer in the garage and build something. And they went out on double dates. So I grew up knowing that being gay was, something and there was gay people and you know but it was still the 70s so the kids at school were horrible sure so at least i had a refuge which which was at home everything was good right now i wonder if that has anything to do with your affinity for carrie that is 
exactly why I love Carrie, because I tell people the moral of the story is don't mess with the freak. It's a, it's a, uh, what I can't remember. What, what do they call that? A, uh, not a learning lesson, but, uh, some kind of what let's scratch that. Uh, oh, the moral of the story. Yeah. Uh, you a forget, cautionary, tale? cautionary tale. Yeah. Forgive me. Uh, there, there's an Adderall shortage in LA. I have ADD. Thanks to, uh, Trump. <laughs> That's the thing. I know. I just watched a piece of the town hall. Not, not maybe the town hall, the ABC thing with George Stephanopoulos. And he's doing the sniff every like. Oh sentence. yeah, it's true. Yeah. I mean, do you follow, I'm going to get his name wrong probably because I am like someone's grandma, Neil Kassler. I think it's Neil Kassler comedy. Oh on, yes. Uh, I, yes. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I mean, he tells these stories uh, you know, from when he worked on The Apprentice, and I mean, he goes there like, mm -hmm. really, Trump is an Adderall addict who shits his pants. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. Hope you're not in the middle of dinner. Yeah, and I, I know that there's a large contingent of this audience listening that's uh, it's a big fan of Trump. So uh, sorry about that, everyone. <laughs> you're joking. Yeah. How can even one person on the planet still support that idiot? That's my question. That's a pretty good question, especially those who consider themselves Christian. Anybody, Christians, Satanists, women, people of color, Latina. I mean, I just don't get it. LGBTQ. It's mm -hmm. literally like, it's almost like it's a pro wrestling match and people don't even understand the gravity of what's going on. They just think it's like a joke. Well, the other trouble is the the people who are so disenfranchised that they say that a vote doesn't matter or their vote doesn't matter or it's all preordained anyway or that uh, somehow Biden and Harris have to somehow prove themselves in the, the time between now and the election. I, it, there's just, uh, there's, there's, no, uh, there's no wiggle room here. The guy's got to go. I would literally vote for a jelly-filled donut <laughs> over him. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I just, I really do not get it. He has it set up where now, you know, the whole like dismissing everything as fake news and everything is a witch hunt or a hoax. Mm -hmm. And I mean, remember when he said he could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue and no one would care? We thought it was a joke. It's fucking true. It's yeah. like, Twilight Zone episode. No, I know. And his supporters will just um, accept anything that he says because they're cult members, basically. But I read this interesting article that kind of put into words how I'd been feeling about it, that his followers don't care about any political thing or ideology, really, most of them. I mean, there, there's, of course, the, the racist, uh, homophobic right. bunch and all that. But they uh, hate the people that aren't like them. They see the people who dismiss Trump as the snarky one who, who escaped their hometown. Well, I mean, the fact that there are phrases like, you know, the liberal elite or, you know, like California elites and they hate New York. I mean, these are ignorant people. Yeah, they're I'm sorry. It's true. And it used to be that they had to kind of hide in the shadows because they were ignorant, unintelligent and now they are emboldened. Mm -hmm. They have their, you know, king of the pig people. And they really don't believe in him as much as they just like that he hates the same people as them. Even though he would cross the street to avoid them. And if they hired, if he hired them, 
he would, you know, just say you didn't do a good job and I'm not paying you. And if you want to try to get your money, you can sue me. So they are literally idiots and we can't, you know, and then saying that obviously doesn't help. It's true. It doesn't help. It actually it worse. It does make it worse. And, and you know, it, the California types or the New York types, which of course is uh, what they mean is uh, Jews, basically. Jews and homosexuals. Yeah. Gays, yeah. Mm-hmm. I just think it's so strange that reading, being intelligent, going to college, like I know not everybody goes to college. I didn't go to college. Same I went here. to Scottsdale Community College for six weeks and figured out it wasn't for me. But like science yeah who who has a fist fight with science because it makes me feel dumb (laughs) well you don't need to do the work just listen to the fucking brilliant people who have you know dedicated their entire lives to trying to keep you safe it's political to wear a mask yeah it's like would you say that about wearing your fucking seat belt or wearing you know a, a helmet if you're on a motorcycle or, <laughs> right. you know, like right you know and unfortunately you're not the you know the idiot who refuses to wear the mask isn't the only person who could die right there's uh, all those outbreaks recently with the uh, there was one wedding somewhere can you imagine all those fond memories everyone will have your wedding uh, on yeah. your anniversary you can think about the day that you helped to get a lot of people infected that spread like a wildfire and we won't get into the wildfires because it's a we already like what a great time we had at that that biker rally in Sturgis. How many people? How many of our friends died? Oh, and we got to see Smash Mouth though. Let's not even get started on the uh, you know gender reveal party. No, and actually, you know what? As a as a cool and refreshing break from the horrifying stuff in the news right now, why don't we yeah. go back to when you first felt politically inclined? Do you remember when you started to have thoughts about stuff like this? Uh, well, I mean, I came out as a gay man the se- and became a sexually active person the day AIDS gave its first press conference. Right. <laughs> so I'm just saying, and being a drag queen is, to me, inherently uh, political. Sure. I'm here to make people feel, well, I'm, I'm here to entertain first, but I mean, I really do. And it's not even a conscious choice to like, oh, I have to have a message. I just can't imagine not putting a twist on things or trying to at least within a show. I just think it's good to look like a clown, but then sneak in some serious stuff. So I would have to say like, I mean, obviously when I was a kid, I didn't give a rat's ass, but Mm -hmm. I would say, you know, mostly Reagan, AIDS, just when I was young and, you know, we would all go to the marches and act up. And I mean, we were fighting for our lives and I really feel like we're fighting for our lives right now. And I feel like this is war. Right. There's a lot of corollaries between this era and that era. And I honestly wish we could give those people Florida and a few, you know, surrounding states and just say, go to town. Have a good time. Mm-hmm. Enjoy your monster truck rallies and your kid rock. And uh, unfortunately, you know, they'll be, it'll be like the Berlin Wall. They'll be, you know, <laughs> craving everything that we do. Yeah. Yeah. Because we are the people who make their wives fuckable and we are the ones who entertain them. And, you know, 
Right. Make all the good things. Sporting events and listen to We Are the Champions by, you know, Freddie Mercury. (laughs) Right. But they're like all anti-gay. A couple Judas Priest fans in there too, probably. Like the man who invented heavy metal as we know it. (laughs) And brought leather to it too. Hello. (laughs) I'm reminded of the unfortunate uh, ties sometimes between heavy metal and right-wing stuff. When again, it goes back to like they wouldn't like you in, in in their house. They wouldn't invite you in. So I don't know why you align yourself with that. And of course, you know, idiots like Ted Nugent and stuff. Which I had the misfortune of seeing Ted Nugent because he opened for Kiss once, and he said something, you know, basically racist about Jesse Jackson. And there was all the. It was really uncomfortable because to hear that many people roar, you know, because uh, a lot of times, sometimes your your a band you love does not exactly have the audience that you would like to mix with. Oh, totally, totally. I hope I'm not wrong, but I think uh, my favorite Ted Nugent song, does he do Stranglehold? Yes, yes. Does that, he even sing on that? No, that is, um, oh, I knew the guy's name, Derek. Uh, I knew Doesn't the, matter. Yeah. It's not even him. Your best fucking song you don't even sing on. Yeah, he's an idiot. Derek Holmes. Derek Holmes, later to be in Whitford St. Holmes with the guy from Aerosmith. And uh, I listened to an interview with him, and he left because Ted, of course, was uh, awful to be around. And Ted stole the writing credit for that song because it was a co-write with Derek Holmes. So there you go. Do you remember the first uh, music that really did it for you? To really, really do it was Kiss. Oh, okay. I had a feeling because of your passion for Kiss, because it's the same with me. They were my first favorite band, and at four, um, I got uh, Destroyer. Yeah, I just remember thinking like, my God, what is this? I mean, I have joked, I've made this joke a million times, but, um, you know, when I was a kid, I dressed up like Ace Freely for um, Halloween mm. because it was platform shoes, makeup, and a wig. <laughs> right, and right. People say pot, pot is a gateway drug. Well, Kiss is gateway drag. Yeah, absolutely. And if you look at the looks that Paul Stanley was pulling in the 80s. Girl. Right. <laughs> Girl. I mean, the fact that they called that album Dynasty is like very prophetic. It's like the gayest, you know, soap opera. But uh, yeah, I dressed up like Ace Freely because Ace was always my favorite. I had really good taste even as a kid. And mm-hmm. if you listen to the solo albums, they're almost unlistenable, except Ace's is every song is brilliant. It still sounds fresh. Mm-hmm. Ace is my favorite. And I love Peter. So that's why I'm like, no. I would still, if we could go to concerts, right, under that premise, I would still go see them one last time because I love Paul Stanley and I love Gene, but... I have something good to say about Gene and then something bad, and they're both kind of quotes. Okay, great. A long time ago, I watched uh, a biography... And uh, it wasn't about one specific person. It was sort of like secrets to success or, you know, like, sure. you know, successful people. So they had a little interview with Gene Simmons, which I immediately rolled my eyes and was like, oh, God, here we go. But he said, if you wake up in the morning and you're waiting to feel inspired before you start working, you are making a huge mistake. Mm-hmm. Like, 
there are so few days when you actually feel inspired. You need to work through that and just start writing songs. And a lot of them are crap and some of them are great, which is similar to what Dolly Parton said. Mm-hmm. You know, I've yeah. written thousands of songs and they're like kids. Some of them are better looking than others. Right. So he was like, he said, I'm like whack-a-mole. I just keep hammering away until something works. So I liked that. But I remember when Adam Lambert, you know, kind of became very popular and officially came out of the closet and was talking about, you know, being gay. Yeah. Gene Simmons was like, oh, shut up about being gay. You don't have to talk about being gay all the time. And I was like, this is from a man who every song he has written is about screwing a groupie. (laughs) He has a photo album full of Polaroids of every groupie he's screwed. All he ever talks about is his sexuality. Right. Shut the fuck up, Gene Simmons. Yeah, agreed. I do find both Gene and Paul inspiring in different ways. Gene, uh, like I said, he's gone down a few pegs on the on the roster because of the idiotic things he said. But Paul Stanley is incredibly inspirational. I think in his book, I recommend to anyone because he overcame a lot of stuff as a kid. He was born with one ear and he was teased and all that stuff. And then he you know, created himself into this drag queen. Basically, it's the you know the self uh, actualization, self creation sort of thing, and also their uh, career struggles. There was a couple times where they were almost out for the count. You know, they had to cancel oh, yeah. tours and stuff, but they kept at it, even when it looked like there was uh, no hope and they were considered a joke. I love stories like that because, yeah. first of all, there's no place for dignity in show business. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> especially today, you can do anything. You know, I, I wrote for Joan Rivers and I would be sitting next to her and she was like 80 years old, 80, 81 years old. And she would have like a purple streak in her hair and her nails were done, but she'd have like one electric blue nail. Mm-hmm. And I could just imagine her saying, give me what the young people are doing. Sure. And people made fun of her plastic surgery, but it literally kept her young. And she was at the top of her game and uh, until the very end. It's hard to say, how many 80-something-year-old people do you say they left too early? But she did. She was still doing it. When did you first start working uh, with Joan? It was mostly fashion police, but I mean, you know, every joke you pitched to her, she owned. Sure. So, you know, if it didn't work for fashion police, it went in a file and she could, you know, maybe tweak it a little bit and do it on stage. I remember she was making a video for Lady Bunny's 50th birthday, Mm -hmm. which was a while ago. (laughs) And she couldn't be there personally. So she was making a video and she was like, oh. Lady Bunny's a drag queen. I have a drag queen who writes for me. So she said, Jackie, write some jokes for this roast. So the very first joke I sent her was, you know, I'm so thrilled to be here. As of this moment, I have now officially roasted more people than Hitler. And she didn't bat an eye and said she loved it. And that's how she opened the, you know, that's what I love. It's like... Mm -hmm. Nobody told her not to make a Holocaust joke or a Hitler joke, and nobody can tell me not to make an AIDS joke. I'm a 57-year-old gay man under all of this, and uh, we need to laugh at the bad stuff. Right. Humor is an essential tool to uh, deal with the more horrible things in life. It's literally how we have managed to survive. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You come out and becoming a sexually active person, and this is right, as you said, AIDS gave its first press conference. How did you negotiate that when you were trying to basically get laid? It was, uh, I mean, it's terrible when something that is supposed to be all about celebrating life and, you know, life affirming and like, you know, you're that age and you move to LA in the 80s and it's just you know like oh my god my people and, right. and you know you're the cutest you've ever been and um and death is literally around every corner and people you know are dropping like flies it's it's horrible and i remember this cute guy i met i'm not even going to say his name but i remember his name because i said it to my mom because he was italian and my mom said oh honey that means bad meat <laughs> His last name was Malacarney. Oh, okay. Anyway, okay. I was like so excited to tell my mom that not only was I dating a guy, but you know he's Italian because she's Italian, sure. and that was all important. But my point is, when I first met him, I think after like dancing all night at a club, we went back to his apartment and we were making out on a couch, and the TV was on in the background, and right in the middle of everything, all of a sudden, this, you know, uh, what is it called? Um, like this special message. This, oh, PSA uh, or something? Yes, yes. A public service announcement came on about AIDS. Oh, wow. And it was literally like just a slap in the face. And we just both sort of like stopped and, you know, okay, I guess I should go. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, you know, it was all about maneuvering and, you know, but it really did affect me because, uh, I mean, this is probably way too much information, but. That's what the show's about. So we, we like that. When I moved to New York in the 90s, I mean, I just stopped. I just thought, first of all, I'm overweight. I'm really femme. Like, I'm too funny. I'm too much for everybody. Like, I just figured this is, I know what gay men want because I knew what I wanted. And this ain't it. And I later learned, actually just recently, I'm like, honey, there, this is a unicorn. Oh, yeah. There are people who are really into this, shockingly enough. And so I've had sort of a rebirth. Uh, yeah, a renaissance. Uh, I remember yeah. when we were chatting backstage at the Clapham Grand, you were telling me about this app, and I can't remember the name of it. Oh, I don't want to share it because then everyone will be on it. So we'll just call the app Good Meat. How long was it in your uh, drought? Yeah, I would say 20 years. Wow. It was bad. Yeah. Because first of all, I mean, I hate to stereotype genders, but I don't know how else to say this. I always say I'm more, I think more like a girl, I think, mm -hmm. which is I was always more into relationships than like one night stands and, you know. Sure. And like, I just wasn't like this overtly, I don't know, sexual person. I don't know if I tamped it down or if I had, you know, 
a physical issue or like hormones. I have no idea. Sure. But all of a sudden, I just sort of was like, you know, life's too short. Just work with what you have and make the most of it. And I was telling a friend, like when some guy, and I don't want to get too specific, but like compliments <laughs> a part of your body that you have literally hated your entire life, but says in the moment that it's perfect mm -hmm. and it's exactly what they love. And it's just amazing. Right. Right. And I think that's a really good message for everyone because no matter what you look like or what, everyone can have those feelings about that stuff. So I think it's a really great thing that you embraced who you are. Did you find that it um, helped to lighten your general mood? Oh, totally. Totally. Because I was always bitter. My friends were getting laid and, you know, everyone was getting lucky. And yes, I mean, it's just a huge part of life. And yeah. when you're without it, you get bitter. There's a part of me that can step outside of it and think like, this is kind of pathetic because a lot of time, well, I'm going to say all the time, <laughs> it's after a show. I'm dressed up. Okay. Yeah. So that's what app is it's like and there's only two settings you're either male or female on this app sure and uh so you have to list yourself as female for them to see you but i'm not trying to you know even though you would you wouldn't well when a guy's thinking with his dick <laughs> you know, yeah but you're, be, you're being you want to be very candid you don't want any right. misconceptions so the very first thing is i'm a drag queen and you know if you want over the top makeup and it's usually after a show and I'm just saying a lot of people are into it. Right, yeah. But um, I can't remember my point. <laughs> anyway, oh, oh, my point was I could step outside of all that and go, you know, that's kind of pathetic. You can only hook up with people when you're dressed up. And it's like, honey, what's the difference between some guy putting on his leather chaps? It's like it makes me feel empowered. It makes me feel sexy. And it makes me feel, you know, they're like worshiping me. And uh so whatever works, like just work with whatever you have. And I feel like saying like, oh, I should be able to hook up, you know, out of drag. And it's like, that's like swimming upstream. I mean, if you can, then do it. If you want to, then do it. If you want to try it, go for it. If it's working, don't, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. They're enjoying it. You're enjoying it. And also it's empowering. Like you said, anything you do that's empowering, that helps you feel that way is completely valid everyone's playing a role anyway yeah that's true it really is like people putting down kiss because they're wearing a bunch of makeup and it's like oh you know it's like honey that's the icing on the cake that's what makes it so special and so different and such an ex you know so whatever yeah so otherworldly for them and and also the premise that other people are more authentic because they just roll on the stage and denim and whatever. All that stuff's picked out by a stylist as well. Exactly. But I wanted to go back to something you said before about I could step out of myself and say that's pathetic. And it reminds me of something I saw you say online, which was about the negative voice, the voice that critiques oneself and how we have to sort of shun that and really sort of embrace everything else. Because you can pick at yourself and, and look at yourself like that. And I think that's maybe internalized stuff from, say, like the shitty kids at school. I think, first of all, it's human nature to do that. And if you're hearing it from other people, then, of course, you know, that's sort of the loop that's in your head. Mm -hmm. But yeah. uh, and if you don't see yourself in society, which is another important reason why people of color 
I just saw this thing online and it was this little blonde girl looking at a wall of dolls and all the dolls were, um, were black. Uh-huh. And I loved it. I was like, this is exactly what we're talking about. Like, if you don't even see yourself, yeah, then it, that's, that's another place where it can come from. But my point is at a certain age, you just realize it does no good. Right. Nothing ever comes from negativity. And you're talking about somebody who is, can be very negative. First of all, comedy is just, you know, fo- focusing on the negative. <laughs> yeah. But also I do get angry and people are like, why are you so mad? And I'm like, how can you not be? Mm. But ultimately you can't expect to lose weight by calling yourself a fat pig and hating yourself. The only way to better yourself or change things, and that's not even necessary sometimes, maybe you're fine just the way you are and you need to change that idea. But if you do want to do something, if you want to exercise, if you want to, you know, uh, like I said, lose weight or whatever it is. Or write songs or anything. Anything. You can't beat yourself up. It doesn't work. It doesn't work with children. All you do is... Who wants to do something because they're afraid? You don't want fear-based. You don't want humiliation. You have to love yourself and say, you know what? I want to be around a long time. Maybe I should lose 20 pounds. Mm -hmm. And, you know, choose happiness with a capital H. That's what I always say. So if you don't want to drink, you know, I mean, that's, or drugs, that's obviously much more serious than just going on a diet. Right. But you just have to decide, do I want to live? Now, you made that decision a while ago, right? Well, you know, a lot of people think I'm like, you know, sober, but I just, I just don't drink. I knew that you didn't drink, so then I thought maybe there was a, a choice. Well, most people assume that. And sometimes I've had people, you know, text me or even friends like, I know you don't drink and I just decided to stop. Can, you, can I, you know, text you for support? And I'm like, you can, but I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> no, the reason I don't drink is because it gives me migraine headaches. Mm-hmm. So I actually feel blessed that that's the case because I nipped it in the bud. Because when you work in this business, it's so easy. Sure. You're in a bar every night, you know, right. unless there's a pandemic. <laughs> right. Outside of that. Now, uh, do you enjoy other things like psychedelics or uh, legal weed? I've done them. Really? Well, wow, so you're a, you're a clean teen. I really am. I mean, listen, I've smoked a lot of pot, but I gave that up a long time ago because that even freaked me out at one point. Yeah, I mean, you know, and I've done my share of like, you know, oh, you got a Valium? Okay, I'll take it. We're watching a movie, whatever, you know. But um, no, I just, you know, I had a double hip replacement. When I woke up, they said, what is your pain level? And I said, two. And they were like, two? You just had a double hip. I'm like, I've been in excruciating pain for the past, like, five years. I feel so much better already. And they kind of told me what drugs I could take and how I could manage the pain. Yeah. And I said, I want the very weakest, safest, because I know myself. Uh And it can happen to anybody. And also, given your pop culture uh, collections, one in particular, you're a little bit compulsive, right? And uh, the thing I'm speaking to, of course, is your guest bedroom. Yes. Which is decorated how, for those who might not know? Uh, Well, as we discussed earlier, Carrie, the original from 1976, Mm -hmm. is my favorite movie of all time. Uh, And uh, because it 
changed my life. I saw it when I was a kid and I literally was blown away. I couldn't believe what I was watching. I'm sitting there in the theater and the prom scene with the lighting. And I mean, it's just, it was, it really did change everything. Pauline Kael, who is a very famous, um, you know, film critic called it the very first pop uh, horror movie. Mm. And it really, everything did change. And a lot of people don't realize that in 1976, this relatively low budget teen horror movie for both Sissy Spacek and Piper Laurie to be nominated for Oscars was unheard of. Right. I mean, honestly. So the movie's amazing. It's not perfect. There's a few things that I'm like, oh, really? That, you know, you had to speed up the film, Brian De Palma. <laughs> I have a guest room that is hundreds of posters and pictures and you know dolls like everything mm-hmm. that you can imagine i have a butcher knife that an artist her name is vicky sin somebody commissioned a anyway it has the mother and carrie and then it has them each twice sort oh, of okay. before and after like oh nice and then, yeah so anyway i just figured like one image from carrie is over the top as it is. So if you walk into a room and you see, you know, like 85, I yeah. kind of like overkill, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, I think you certainly achieved it with that room, which I saw on one of your lovely Insta Live shows, which is called what? Oh, uh, well, every Wednesday, I'm doing one right after this, I do uh, Best Friends Day Wednesday, where I just do, you know, sit down and talk to a friend of mine. Mm hmm. And I did one with Nancy Allen, who was in Carrie. So I decided to start the show in the room and kind of do a little tour because that was my very first show. That was the very first Best Friends Day Wednesday. So I didn't know what I was doing. And uh, so, yeah, I did a little tour of the room during that. And then at one point, I ducked out of frame and turned into Bobby from Dress to Kill. (laughs) Right. Which made me laugh. Yeah, yeah. Some consider that film a little problematic these days, but um, yeah, we were talking about that. Yeah, but, yeah, Nancy you know, Allen's fabulous, of course, and that was a fun chat. I enjoyed it. I watched that. That was good. She's also just literally the nicest person for somebody who plays one of the most iconic, infamous bitches in the history <laughs> of movie. You know, like yeah. Chris Parkinson from Carrie. Mm-hmm. You know, so but she's the nicest person on the planet. Yeah, and I'm quite a Brian De Palma fan as well. I have uh, the, bo- I don't know if you can see it, but Body Double poster right, oh, uh-huh. uh, right back there next to Hedvig and then the Who's Tommy, then To Live and Die in LA, and then the Jabriath documentary. Are those all your favorites? They are, yeah. I remember critics called uh, Body Double Dressed to Drill. <laughs> and Hedvig is one of my all-time favorite movies. Mm-hmm. I so- think it's perfect. I literally think it is Perfect. I don't think there's one moment I don't care for. Same here. There's one song that is my least favorite, which is Sugar Daddy. Uh-huh. It's just not up to par. But, you know, every musical needs just that fun sort of whatever. Yeah. And then I have to tell you, Tommy. Yeah. I've never seen. Oh, wow. You know, that's amazing. I've never seen Jesus Christ Superstar. And people are usually floored by that because oh, of my love for musicals. Now, when I was a kid, my dad would not let me go see the movie Tommy. And I was like, why not? And he's like, because it's people on drugs having fun. <laughs> I don't do drugs, thanks to my dad yeah. and his limits and boundaries. 
He shielded you from that. What's your all-time favorite movie? Now, I have two different answers. Okay. Because Carrie is my favorite movie, but then there's... I wouldn't want to watch Carrie every single day. Uh Uh-huh. Kind of makes me feel disloyal saying that out loud. (laughs) Um, The movie that I could watch every single day if I only had one movie, you know, sort of... uh, what is it? Deserted Island mm. is Sunset Boulevard. Oh, okay. I also think that's perfect and it has a little bit of everything. You know, I've never seen that and I always mean to. So that's a good reminder for me. Oh, to see I know. My God. I know. It is so good. And it's very similar to Carrie because she plays a vulnerable monster. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. You feel bad for her, but she's really kind of. I mean, Carrie's not horrible, but she's, you know, out of her control doing horrible things. Yeah. Oh, my God. Sunset Boulevard. You have to watch it. I will. I will. I know that you've seen. Have you seen Psycho? Uh, actually, no. And here's why. Okay. Be- yeah, because uh, the, the interview's <laughs> over, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> I think because I saw it satirized so many times that I just never got around to seeing it. Here's the problem with movies that are that iconic. A friend of mine, who I mentioned earlier, Muffy Bolding, had never seen Psycho. She thought she had it all figured out because all she'd seen was, you know, the most, you know, the shower scene. And she, you know, I forced her to sit down and watch it. And she was like, kept pausing it. She's like, I have no idea. I had no idea. Like the dialogue, the acting, every shot, it is a near perfect movie it is so satisfying so you sir (laughs) watch sunset boulevard and psycho okay you know i'm gonna actually watch one of those after we finish taping because i've been due for a movie and not a columbo and that'll be a good thing to do maybe i'll do sunset boulevard first and then uh save psycho for the weekend Sunset Boulevard is a little bit more of an investment. Okay. It's a little like longer. Do you know what I mean? Like sure. it's sort of, it's an old school. It's 1950 yeah. and Psycho is 1960. And when you're watching it, you sort of can't believe that it's 1960. Oh, right. Right. Cause it's so forward thinking and shocking. And again, it's a little, you know, the world has changed and it's a little problematic and you know, at the end, they over-explain. Oh, okay. You know? Yeah. But my mother, I was watching it once in Scottsdale, Arizona on TV. And my mom walked in the room and, you know, when they went to commercial, because it was on regular TV, she's like, oh, honey, I wish you could go back in time and watch that movie. In 1960, when it came out, your father and I went to see that movie in the movie theater. When nobody knew about multiple personalities, mm-hmm. cross-dressing, like when she was murdered, the star of the movie in the first like 20 <laughs> minutes, we were like, wait a minute, is this a dream sequence? People right. were running out of the theater screaming. Yeah. You have no idea how it changed everything and the impact this movie made. It's funny because, uh, you know, De Palma obviously is a Hitchcock uh, obsessive, but I was talking to, I think when Katya and I did a movie club about Body Double, he had never seen it. And I was thrilled to show Katya that because his jaw dropped during like the drill scene and stuff. And I was like, imagine yeah. that in 1984. And then all the reviews, they freaked out about it. You know, it was it was considered right. filth and trash and stuff. So, I mean, the impact in 1960 of Psycho must have been unbelievable. And it is. Yeah. I mean, Body Double is. No. <laughs> but, <laughs> about just, uh, wait a minute. Yeah, Body Double. My one. Of, I love that. 
I almost feel like the blood in Body Double is so sort of Dario Argento homage because it's so mm. shiny. It doesn't look anything like blood. Right, right. And then, I don't know if you've ever seen like extras on Taxi Driver. Taxi Driver got an X rating just because of the blood. Oh, that's right. Yeah. It was completely different than any blood they'd ever used in a movie. And then they did a filter on the camera and it was just too much for people. Like, right. So, yeah. So they went and they, they, they did some uh, tinting. So, they, so as to not cut out any of the death scenes or the violence, they tinted it in post to... Oh, maybe that's... Yeah. Yeah, they tinted it in post and then got the R rating. Because the other option would be to cut out like basically the end of the movie. You know what I mean? Because the whole thing is so violent. Oh my God. The end. And the end of that movie is everything. It's yeah. one of the most, it scares me to this day. And the music is brilliant. And the fact that Bernard Ehrman finished that score and went back to his hotel room and dropped dead. I know. It's amazing. And that movie is so amazing about alienation. I mean, what it says about alienation and everything. I wanted to ask you too about living in New York. Cause, so you originally from Arizona, came to LA. I saw a lovely post that you made, a sad, a bittersweet post really, because Rage is closing. And yeah. you spent a lot of time at Rage when you were younger. Yeah. And it's so not a cool place. I mean, it was <laughs> in the 80s, to be honest. It was, you know, but I mean, I always say I'm a little more Silver Lake than West Hollywood. But you mm -hmm. know, when I first came out, like we, my friend Carl and I lived right up the street from there. And we literally picked that apartment so we could just like get drunk and walk home but <laughs> it was really fun and mondays were sort of their alternative night and the music was just so fun and it's just you know a moment in time it would be sure. like you know somebody who's older than me you know what is it like the peppermint Pe peppermint Club. lounge or something peppermint lounge exactly yeah something like that just you know like it's just a moment in time especially yeah. as a young person you know it was just such a place of freedom yeah i can imagine how long were you in la roughly before you went to new york city well i went i came to la in the mid 80s like maybe 86 uh-huh and oh my god la in 86 i mean melrose they actually had thrift shops you know it was sort of like uh you know carnaby is that it carnaby street in it, london yeah, it was just such a scene. Yeah. And they had retail slut and aardvark and uh, just all these amazing, you know, and we wouldn't, we wouldn't be caught dead wearing something that there was 17 of the same thing on a rack. We all put outfits together and did thrift store shopping. And then the bands that I saw, oh, I mean, yeah. unbelievable in these small spaces. So it was just all about, and then, you know, heavy metal kind of kicked in, mm -hmm. you know, it was amazing. Did you go to the strip a lot uh, when there was the metal scene happening? Well, it was really straight. I was kind of a closet heavy metal fan, yeah. you know, and I mean, I loved Motley Crue and, you know, Rat. I don't know. I, I don't think I felt safe. That era and that scene, wildly homophobic, really. Uh, unfortunately, and uh, something interesting I found out through that Kiss podcast, the same woman that dressed Rod Stewart for the Do You Think I'm Sexy video in that era is the same woman who basically helped Motley Crue achieve that initial look. Kiss, their entire non-makeup years. Flora Thielmeyer is her name. She's an oh, Australian. Yeah. She's basically the reason the 80s looked the way they did. Right. 
Well, good for her. And I learned recently that uh, Larry Legaspi, mm -hmm. who did most of Kiss's outfits. Oh, okay. You know, yeah, yeah. And all the big, you know, and he did LaBelle. Oh, wow. Okay. And if you look it up, actually a protege, a female protege of his is the person who actually designed everything and did all the work. He was just sort of in name only. He was the famous one who wow. made these for everybody and i don't remember her name of course unfortunately sure but uh have you ever been to a dolly parton concert i have i saw her a couple of years ago at the hollywood bowl yeah i joke that like a dolly parton concert is all rednecks and gay men <laughs> fair enough for the most part so it really is like when worlds collide and everybody just has to get along and god bless dolly she's you know a unifier so I wish things were like that back in the day and I could have gone to see, but I went to see like, you know, um, oh my God, I can't even remember. Uh, well, maybe like Missing Persons or something like, or. Like, oh, I went to see Missing Persons in Arizona at a country Western bar in a strip mall. And wow. she had fried hair and the plastic bra. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I saw a killer pussy in Arizona. I think they're from Arizona and just all these amazing new wave bands. But yeah, the, the heavy metal, I was afraid. No, that makes sense. I think I moved to L.A. in 86, and then I moved to New York in 96. Stayed about 2000 or 2001. Now, the move to New York must have been a little bit, um, not unnerving, but I wonder, how did you feel moving to New York after establishing yourself in L.A.? Well, it was unnerving, and I didn't really move there. I went to do Valley of the Dolls. Mm. Mm -hmm. We did Valley of the Dolls here in Los Angeles at this tiny little theater, and it just became like the show that everybody had to see. And one of the funniest people on the planet, Ben Zook, he is hilarious, mm -hmm. but he's not a drag queen. And he underplays everything. Mm -hmm. Like, everything is super dry. I mean, literally one of the funniest people I've ever met. But he played Helen Lawson. Oh, okay. And I came to the show, and I watched it, and I was like, no. So I told them, I said, listen, if Ben ever leaves or something happens or, you know, because the energy just was not right. It mm -hmm. needs a campy, big, over-the-top fucking drag queen. Sure. So I ended up getting the part. And then, like I said, it became wildly popular. And they took it to New York to do off-Broadway at Circle in the Square. Ron Delsner, who mm. was, you know, like... The biggest promoter of everything, yeah. right? Yeah. He backed it and it was really huge. And so I, I just thought I was going to come back. And I just thought, you know, I used to go to clubs with a cassette tape. Uh -huh. That's how long ago it was. And for about a week, I went to every club in drag after the show. And I said, you know, I'll do a song for free. I did that for a week. And then the phone was ringing off the hook. Like, oh, my God, she sings live and she's funny. And, you know, right. And then the rest history i kind of took new york by storm as i can imagine sure and i saw in uh an article that you spent a lot of time at Squeezebox. i just remembered what a shithole it was <laughs> they interviewed me for you know there's a squeeze box documentary and i don't know what is going on with it but oh, mike told me it was uh held up by rights issues yeah that makes sense. But I mean, I feel like I was the only one who looked right in the camera and said, honey, it was a shithole. I mean, it was a magical, you know, shithole. Sure. Total fire trap and people were getting blown in the bathroom and, you know, like Courtney loves hanging out, like all these famous people came. And 
I remember I was on stage once and I was with Sebastian Bach mm-hmm. and, you know, there was that whole thing where he wore that horrible t-shirt back in the day. And I think I called him out on it on stage. For those not familiar, this shirt said AIDS kills fags dead. Yeah. And it was kind of a, a take on raid. Right. Right. Exactly. And then his, his, uh, a statement afterwards said he said something to the effect of a fan had thrown the shirt on stage and he put it on. I don't know how believable that is, but uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, stuff like that. Listen, there are things that you don't even think about at the time. And, you know, thank God we live in a different world. But my point is at Squeezebox, I was on stage with him and kind of called him out on it. And he grabbed me and kissed me on the mouth, like to prove something. Yeah. But he was cute. <laughs> and uh, that bitch can sing. Yeah. He really can sing. But I mean, it was crazy. Mm-hmm. I just remember like you would pick a song because they would do themes. You would pick a song or two, usually one, I think. And then you'd have to go to a sound check and just the band would learn it, in, you know, really fast. And yeah. You would just, you know, and next thing you know, it was time to go home and get in drag. And then, you know go back at midnight or 1230 or one o'clock because the show was super late and then just, you know, hope you didn't get so fucked up that you (laughs) ruined everything. And I always had my cheat sheets, you know, my lyrics taped to the monitors and then drunk people would be hanging all over the monitors and like, you know, ripping them off or covering them up. And Mm -hmm. so I was always nervous at Squeezebox because it's very different than, you know, what I was talking about earlier, handing somebody a cassette tape. Sure, yeah. Song sung a hundred times. Some right. stupid, funny song and, you know, trying to sing Love Hurts <laughs> by Nazareth. Yeah, yeah. Live with a, a band full of people who could also fall prey to being too fucked up to continue. The crowd did not care. If uh-huh. you see footage, I mean, people, like, we are not hitting the notes, like, it's pretty messy, but it was just about the energy and the audience loved it. That's all they wanted was that energy. And, you know, and I mean, what a different world we live in now. Right. Even without the pandemic, but you add the pandemic. And I mean, it's like literally like night and day. Right. Because I saw a quote of yours that said something to the effect of the NYC that you miss doesn't exist anymore. So it's not even it's something true. to pine for. Right. Yeah. Yeah. People are like, don't you miss it? And I'm like, it doesn't exist anymore. You moved then back to L.A. Was that to start doing TV writing or did you just want to get back to the uh, glorious no, lands of California? It was for a job. It yeah. was for a job. And uh, yeah, my friends, Terry Sweeney, who played, um, you know, first openly gay cast member on a network TV show, Saturday Night Live. Back in the day, he played um, uh, Nancy Reagan mm. is what he was famous for. But he's so funny and so brilliant. He and his uh, I guess husband, partner, Lanier Laney, mm-hmm. who I think is, I know he, I think he is uh, Tennessee Williams' nephew. Oh, wow. Yeah. So anyway, they started a show with Scott King. They all worked on Mad TV. Okay. And then they did a sketch that just sort of blew up. I think it was a parody of Felicity called Intensity. This is pre-YouTube and, you know, just my favorite part of Saturday Night Live are the commercial parodies yeah. and, you know, stuff like that. I like parodies. I yeah. like it to be like Mad Magazine, you right, know? Right, And so, yeah, my favorite things are song parodies and, you know, movie trailers and 
all that. So they did that and it really blew up. So they got their own deal at the WB, which doesn't even exist anymore, for a sort of young teenage uh, Saturday Night Live type of show. Okay, sure. So they asked me to come out and write for the show, and uh, I had no life at all. And I would write constantly. Any idea I had, I would just turn it into a sketch, and I wrote hundreds of sketches and there were episodes of that show where almost the entire show was like sketches I wrote. Wow. So you must have had a lot of mornings that were like the ones Gene Simmons described where you woke up and you weren't necessarily feeling inspired, but you know, it was time to make the donuts. Yes, a little bit, but I was, I felt like a little bit of a hack. Like I, I, well, I just didn't take it all too seriously because it was for kids. I just thought, you know what, let's just do this. Sure. And I didn't like I didn't feel too precious or about anything. So if they just said no, I would be like, okay, well, here's another one. Mm. Again, like the Gene Simmons whack-a-mole. Yes, I'm never at a loss for ideas. Let's mm-hmm. put it that way. I mean, fleshing them out is one thing, but if it's a three-minute sketch, it's not that hard. Right. Right. I've been doing that for years for free, and now here I was on like this <laughs> network show, you know, in the writers' guild. So. And some of the other writers were like, you're making us look bad. And I said, not my problem. Yeah, no, it's not. Certainly not. And so after that show, what was the Mm -hmm. next uh, step for you? Well, it's so funny because during that, I didn't do drag for the longest time. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Like really, like a long time. I put everything into that. And so when it was time to go back into drag, it felt really weird. Uh Uh-huh. But, you know, I guess it's like riding a bike. So... I just started performing again and, you know, I needed to be in control. I signed with William Morris, which everybody told me not to do. And I did. Why did they tell you not to? Because they don't care. I mean, it's just a numbers game. They'll never, ever, unless you're famous, they're never going to fight for you. Sure. They're just waiting for the phone to ring. And like, maybe this person will become the next big thing. Right. And I remember one of the executive producers, none of the people I just mentioned, one of the executive producers said, listen, I know the show is sinking. I know that it's going to be over soon, but I want you to know that I know how hard you work and how funny you are, and we will work together again. And then when it was all over, couldn't get him on the phone. Wow. So yeah. I had to go back to doing drag and be in control of my own you know, life and destiny, yeah. which is great. And, you know, I've written, I wrote, you know, like Terry and Lanier did Tripping the Riff. Is that what it's called? It Trip- sounds familiar. That name sounds definitely Anyway, familiar. it was um, on the sci-fi network. It was, uh, so I wrote an episode of that about an intergalactic beauty pageant. Mm-hmm. And then I went to write for, you know, my friend Ross Matthews did a talk show on E! And mm-hmm. I had written for him. So, you know, just it's very sporadic. I'm not really in the business. It's like I don't really, I'm an actor, but I don't really audition for a whole lot of things. Uh-huh. People write parts like, oh, let's write this part for Jackie B. Mm-hmm. So it's more like that. I don't approach it like most people. I just do what I do and then people come to me. I wish I worked more outside of you know what I do. I wish I was a little more mainstream, but it's all good. Mm-hmm. And also, it wouldn't be worth a trade-off or anything like that. I was just in a movie called Stage Mother mm-hmm. and did a lot of interviews for that. And I always say like my dream, because they're always like, what do you want? What's next? What, do you, what would you? And I said, well, I, you know, I would love it if somebody just said, 
you know, maybe somebody was doing a, a series on Netflix or Hulu and said, oh, my God, everything I've seen Jackie beat in, you know, is pretty good. Yeah. She's very versatile and, you know, interesting and funny. And let's give her a part in this show, you know, and just sort of like get some good medical insurance and yeah. you know, put some money in the bank. Yeah, sure. My old or as a writer, uh, sort of conceptualizing some things. Yes, that would be fun. That would be good. <clears throat> you also worked with Roseanne Barr, right? Yes, I did. She came to see me perform and she came up to me and she said, you know, you're hilarious. I'm going to work with you. And I've heard that a lot, you know? <laughs> yeah, sure. The next day, the phone rang to her credit and uh, I helped her write a bunch of stuff and um, I went on tour with her and we did seven weeks at the New York, New York in uh, Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I appreciate her and I, I really, she's one of the most generous, supportive people, but her, I don't know what's, you know, I, I chalk it up to mental illness, which I don't want to talk about too much. No, like, I don't think she's a bad person, but her politics really took a nosedive and there's just point where it's a deal breaker yeah no you know makes sense and, just, and you know i wouldn't hang out with trump and you know right like i said it's a deal breaker and it sounds tr there's a part of me that feels very um disloyal there's a part of me that feels very disloyal like, oh, I threw her under the bus and, you know, these people are like, oh, you know, she did all this for you. And it's just like, you know, I'm like I said, it's there, there are deal breakers. I appreciate everything she did. I sure, you know, but whatever. you don't owe someone for uh, perpetuity. Do you know what I mean? You're not sort of uh, obligated to stand by someone when they are beyond the pale in an ethical sense. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So before we wrap up, I want to know about your favorite Kiss album or era. I mean, I really love the old stuff. Sure. I love the first three albums that, you know, sold like shit until yeah. <laughs> Alive came out. <laughs> right. But nobody can deny that Destroyer is, you know, sort of the end all and just the epitome, if mm -hmm. you will, you know? Yeah. It's so grand. It's so cinematic. It's so camp, really. It really is. And then I think of like on the song. I mean, I'm sure you know all these stories. First of all, like didn't like Ace didn't really even play on it, right? He, he played on most of the some of the album, but then oh. the guy from Alice Cooper's band played the solos on like Sweet Pain, which, by the way, you want a you want a tricky lyric that's problematic for this time. Go check that song out. Uh, and oh my uh, God, Kiss has so many problems. <laughs> I know. I know. Christine 16. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But, uh, nothing to lose. Yeah, nothing to lose. Sure. That's not like more nothing gentle. It's like, come on. That's about anal sex. Oh, of course. Like, so sweet pain. So sweet pain. But, yeah. like, at least nothing to lose is a little, like, less, uh, aggressive. But, uh, yeah. but it's so high camp, though. You know, I don't know. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so. What's the guy from Alice Cooper's band played on it because Bob Ezrin produced Destroyer and Ace was too busy. Ace actually said, I have a poker game. Yeah, wow. he chose to go to a poker game. So then that started the whole trend of him not being on the albums. Peter's not on Dynasty I, or on Unmasked. I mean, I literally, I don't even know 
those albums. I mean, other than, you know, I was made for loving you. Um, Which is my one of my favorites of theirs. I kind of love that. But I love Dress to Kill is uh, one of my favorites of theirs. That So I think that and Destroyer are my two favorites. What's Making Love? Is this Love Gun? That is Love Gun, I believe. Yeah, yeah I do like Love Gun, too, because I love Making Love and come on and love me is that that's on dress to kill but that's one of my favorites yeah 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 i love those sort of really poppy yeah and i was in a kiss tribute band i was the singer because and you know we only had one guitarist but it was all major kiss fans and we were really fucking good oh i'd love to hear uh, see a tape of that if there's any existing Uh, yeah it was me in full drag yeah and with a star yeah and uh, we were called Kiss My Fat Ass. <laughs> and we were really good. But I remember, so some of my favorite songs are just the songs that are fun to sing. Sure. And I could really do Paul Stanley's voice. And a friend of mine, Barry Shills, who directed Wigstock the movie, mm-hmm. he also directed uh, segments for Real Sex for HBO. And I remember he filmed a segment about uh, like a sexual circus, sort of mm-hmm. an erotic circus. And the song in the background was I was made for loving you. Oh, okay. He couldn't use the actual music and they needed to do a sound alike. So we went to a studio in Brooklyn and he was like, I'm going to go get coffee, you know, and a, and a bagel if you guys want something. And I was like, okay, yeah, I'll take a coffee and a muffin or whatever. He left and he came back 20 minutes later and he's like, okay, so let's get started. And the engineer was like, we're done. And he's like, <laughs> he's like I'm paying you and I'm paying her like a lot of money. And I was, he's like, Barry, listen to this. He pushes play. It sounded exactly because I grew up listening to it. Of I can course. do his voice. Yeah. And you're a skilled, gifted yeah. singer. So of course, and right. with an ear and you, you got it down. Yeah. And also, again, back to the thing about childhood favorites, your first favorites, you know, there's there's a certain uh, passion yeah. with which you hold their material. You know, you asked earlier about, I went from loving Kiss, mm-hmm. Kiss being my entire world, and sitting there as a little kid going, I wonder what Kiss is doing right now. <laughs> I went from Kiss to Devo. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was obsessed with Devo. They Like, these are bands that changed my life. Sure. Because they were so unique and so, and there was like a, a level of camp and comedy, but it was still good. And concept too. Both bands really have a concept to them. Right. And then, strangely enough, I went from Devo to the Smiths, and then the Smiths were everything. Uh-huh. That's when I was, you know, all sad and like. <laughs> That was the gay guy in me, just like, you know, I'm going to put on a sweater and walk through the cemetery. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. One early 80s album I've been listening to a lot lately is Kim Carnes' Voyeur. And it's very new wave, the album. It's like incredibly new wave. Oh, my God. You know what I'm obsessed with? What? Like, I mean, I might have to go get a tattoo. (laughs) I am so obsessed once again because this is nothing new but it's a resurgence it's a a, a re, you know. a re-obsession i like to think of it as there yeah. you go i am so beyond obsessed with the underrated martha davis of the motels fucking amazing and her really early songs like celia total control like, you know, there weren't even hits. They're so minimal, and her voice is amazing. And then the hits, you know, like Suddenly Last Summer, sure. 
BL out of love. I mean, she is, if you go on YouTube and watch yeah. the early stuff, she is, I'm guessing, coked out of her mind <laughs> and just magnificent. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to have to do that. I'm going to have to go and check out some of the, their stuff because I only know some. I know the hits. I don't really know much more. And I love a deep dive. They're so good. That gives me something to do uh, pre and post Sunset Boulevard. Oh, yes. So I was going to ask if you had anything you'd like to add before we close out. I guess I could just be a shameless whore and tell everybody to go to MissJackieBeat.com for merchandise and MP3 downloads of all my sick and twisted song parodies. And if people want to watch my shows, I do do every Wednesday. I do do. I was going to say you do do. quite. <laughs> every Wednesday I do. Best Friends Day Wednesday. Uh, these are Instagram live shows. They're free, but I'm begging for tips the entire time. That's my talk show. If anyone wasn't really uh, listening with great detail there, it's not a scat show. But sorry, go ahead. No, no it's not. But funny you should say that because I've been doing Sundays I've been doing Quarantine Cuisine, which is a cooking show live from my kitchen. Mm. And I took a little hiatus and I'm going to come back and I'm changing the name because I don't want to make it about the quarantine anymore. Right. So I've always wanted to do a cooking show called Future Poop. <laughs> See, it all ties together. I'm like eight years old. <laughs> so check me out and like, yeah, buy a t-shirt or something. Sure. And you're on Cameo as well, right? I am. I am. So look, your entertainment needs are covered by Ms. Jackie Beat. Yes. Thank you so much for joining me. It's been an absolute delight, and I look forward to talking to you again sometime. Thank you, honey. I had a great time. For lots more stuff and plenty more things, head on over to patreon.com slash Craig and Friends. Check out which reward tier works best for you, sign on up, and slide on in to the Thunderbuns of Hot Dog Club.